is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 61, operating on January 25th, 2021. This is Drew and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Thanks for driving up to New Jersey last week, Drew, and for the break from my work trip. It was great doing the podcast in person, showing you around my old stopping grounds, but it's good to be back home in warmer California, and we were just talking about that before <laughs> we came on. I made a comment, it's nice and warm here. Well, you know, when Doug and I talk about nature, the park bench outside doesn't work, so nature for us is an airport concourse, right? That yeah, with, with natural habitat. Yeah, with <laughs> yeah. announcements going with on. With announcements. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, Doug, I'm glad you made it home safely, and thanks for making me jealous with your no less than three flights back home. Yeah, two lounge visits. We're going to stay with our Northeast theme this week with our special guest and friend, Francis, who's an airport, not airline, operations supervisor in upstate New York. Welcome, Francis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great great to see you, Francis. And Drew, I like how you added airport into our intro this week. We, we have to keep that. <laughs> we have to keep that. I, I, don't know why we, I don't know why we haven't had that on this whole time. Thanks, Francis, for making us realize that we do love airports also. Yeah, yeah. We, sure. always, we always say this is your show, and we love having our listeners from all areas of aviation on the show. So, Francis, let's start out with you. Tell us what got you into aviation and what an airport operations supervisor does. Certainly. Aviation was kind of always a thing that had been in my life. My dad flew small private planes when we lived down in Georgia when I was little. And then when we moved up into the Northeast, it kind of got away from me. I started on a different career path. I was a full-time ice hockey official for close to 10 years. Things kind of, I kind of realized that maybe it was time to get out of that as a career full-time wise. I went back to school where I got my degree for aviation science and my advisor pulled me aside one day and she's like, I could really see you going into the airport management field. One thing led to another and I managed to get hired. What what was her background? Like did was she, did she come from airport management or what what was her No, background? she was a she was a flight instructor. She flew a lot of um I think she flew a lot of helicopters. She was a pilot. The program had worked with the airport in getting airport management internships in the field of airport operations and I was going to do that but there weren't any available at the time and then they managed to be hiring just maybe a year later. And I was able to get a job. So let me ask you what uh, I wouldn't classify. I don't know if I'd classify you as an av geek. Maybe you're a closet av geek, but there was something about airport operations that attracted you. What was it? At the time, it was, you know, just maybe just being around airplanes at the time. I enjoyed seeing, you know, planes fly over or whatever. It kind of like took a different interest for me in a way that, you know, I had never thought about it as a, career Mm. at the time you know it was just kind of one of those things i enjoyed as a hobby i collected model airplanes and you know i would enjoy putting them together i I think this is this is a good good transition so we we like to ask all all of our guests on the show what your favorite aviation moment was so what i I know that that you're kind of having a hard time coming up with this what what did you end up coming up with what what would you say in your life has been your favorite aviation moment 
You're right. I did have to, um, I did have to ponder that. And this is going to be like a complete airport ops thing, but I mean, <laughs> driving a car on a runway is pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> the, first, cool. The, the first time that I did it, it was, I, I remember looking at the supervisor that was training me and I was like, this is, this is really cool <laughs> because, because you don't, you don't think about that. You know, if, if you're in aviation, you don't think of, you know, Hey, let's get in the car and drive on a runway. You think about an airplane. You guys are kind of badass because you can do whatever you want and not get a ticket. But my question is, I see you guys driving on the runway and you guys go at 120 miles per hour. Not at my field. <laughs> oh, okay, but you guys drive really fast. Is there <laughs> yep. a need to do that or are you guys just showing off? It all depends. Um, <laughs> I mean, if we're getting told, you know, there's traffic on like a four mile final, we need you to expedite your inspection you're pretty much just going down there the runway looking for big items like FOD. Realistically, we try to take it 30 miles an hour, maybe 25. Okay. That way you can actually see everything that you're trying to look for. So okay. you, you, you drive on the runway, so you know all of the terminology, you know how to communicate with ground and with tower and everything. Yes. In, yeah. in fact, you probably know how to do it better than a lot of my students do. I mean, that comes back to training. <laughs> I mean, so, um, yeah, that, that wasn't, that wasn't really a question. That was, that was more of a statement. <laughs> yeah. Doug, you know how you and I obsess about seat pitches and window shades and, you know, seat recline and all mm -hmm. that. So this guy sends me a picture of uh, a run, some run, or maybe I sent you a picture from uh, Washington. Right. And then you said, oh, those are not uh, regulation stripes or something. Something about non non-standard stuff. Yeah. I remember you sent me a um a picture of, you know, like a seven eight. Yeah. And I saw like the stop sign and I was like, wow, those are really cool, like, you know, flashing lights on the side of them to, you know, prevent people from getting a surface incident. Yeah. You guys don't have that. No, we don't. No, so I sent him a picture of a seven eight seven. Looked fabulous, but he's fixated on the lights. On, on the lights. So this is, yeah, yeah so that's, that's the difference between airport ops. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that, Francis. Now uh, we do have another concern. We have a concern, <laughs> though, um, as you have said, an airplane is a way to get from point A to point B. Now, for us and a lot of our listeners, getting from point A to point B is what we love the most about aviation. So what's this all about? I will say everyone is entitled to their opinions. <laughs> <of course. laughs> so um, so 2021. Reason, so like the reason that I'd say that is because, you know, being an ice hockey official, you know, there are times where you need to fly, mm -hmm. you know, to get from assignment to assignment. And it's not always fun if you get delayed or whatever when you're trying to get to your next assignment but then so, you just enjoy the airport you're at, you're at an airport you can go watch even, the airport activities that's true but i also didn't work in the industry then so i wasn't that interested in it at the time now now that you don't necessarily have a schedule that you have to adhere to getting from point a to point b if you go visit family if you go on vacation do you enjoy it at least just a little bit because there, there's that old saying that getting there is half the fun uh, do yeah, you, do yeah, you I subscribe would, to I that would, at all? I would say that's that's fair. I know when I flew to Columbus to see my sister, we had to make a stopover in Detroit. And, you know, I remember telling myself before I left, I said, you know, I'm going to do my best to not think about 
anything related to my job, you know, like marking signs, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to an airport, you're going to an airport that's bigger than what you, than what I work at. And you're going to see things that don't, that we don't have. I mean, there's the old saying, you know, you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're not all the same. And I remember just looking out the window, looking at the things and there's signs, there's lights, you know, there's all these different things that my facility doesn't have. All right. Well, I, hopefully Drew and I can turn you into a getting there is more than half the fun type guy. And <laughs> yeah, come you've, on now. You, you've listened to us talk about seat pitch and clubs and first class and things like that. So you've stuck with us long enough. So I, I feel like we're starting to get you in that way. But well, hold on one second. So Doug, yeah. you, you stopped at two airports on the way home mm -hmm. from Philadelphia to Sacramento. I did. All right, Francis, give us something. Wouldn't that appeal to you to see not just one airport, but a second one on your way home? Or you just want to get home? It depends. On, uh, if I have the time to kill, why not? All right, see? Exactly. All right, we got something. Exactly. Got something. Yeah, that, that's good. Thank you, Drew. Thank you for, thank <laughs> we'll you for, for saving this conversation. <laughs> yeah, let's stop right there before he goes yeah. into... Eh. <laughs> yeah, is that it? Is that the episode? Are, are we done? All right. <laughs> well, um Let's get some real work done and then we'll get back to some more fun and, and talk to Francis about some of his aviation stuff. But first of all, we do have to get to the news. So Drew, what do we have this week? All right, just a quick update on uh, this uh, crash in Indonesia. So this is from the South China Morning Post. I don't know if you've looked at that newspaper, but they, they seem pretty legit. Mm -hmm. Seen a lot of stories on, especially Asian stories. So this was Sriwijaya Air. Yeah, the Indonesian investigators are looking at a faulty automatic throttle. So just uh, as a recap, this was a 737-500, which crashed shortly after takeoff on the 9th of January into the Java Sea, killing 62 on board. Uh, the source, sources say the auto throttle was producing more thrust in one engine uh, than the other. The source also said the, this specific aircraft had previous issues with the auto throttle. So I guess they went to the maintenance logs and found that. Uh, an investigator for the Indonesian authorities confirmed that this is one of the factors that they are looking at. Indonesian uh, investigators are working with Boeing to review flight data from the flight data recorder, which was retrieved from the seabed last week. And uh, Doug, you're the pilot here. So when there's uneven thrust in the mm -hmm. engines, what could that cause? So this really stands out to me because if, if we have an auto throttle issue in, in our airplane or other airplanes like this, in a way that's like losing an engine. So you have asymmetric thrust and initially the airplane is going to move in one way or the other uh, in the direction towards the failed engine. This happens all the time. We do it in training. We know how to how to deal with this with this loss of, of thrust. So to me, I'm wondering if it was pilot reaction time a little bit or that they were just slow to assess the situation. But I don't know if you guys remember, there was a Lada Air 767 back in the early 90s, I think it was, that basically fell out of the sky somewhere over Europe because a thrust reverser came out in flight. Yeah. essentially oh, wow. essentially breaking up the airplane in flight. Yeah, that's like putting it into reverse. On yeah, side, right? ba yep. basically. So to me, just something wrong with the auto throttles where one engine is producing more thrust should not create an upset situation mm -hmm. like this. Or if it does, so an upset situation is when the airplane gets in some state of flight that you're not expecting. And we, yeah. we train to recover from that. It seemed like in reading the data, it seemed like this happened so fast. And we talked about this last week that it was like 30 seconds or less from when it happened to when they impacted that I'm almost wondering if 
they're saying auto throttles, but yeah. it, it means more with some sort of a reverse of thrust, just like an instantaneous. Oh, it might be the lot of air, a similar situation. Yeah, a similar situation. That's that's really what I'm wondering. <clears throat> yeah, because it happens so fast, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And we'll, we'll keep everyone updated. Yeah. All right. Well, the next article is from CNBC and this is talking about United who reported their normally would be their profits this week, mm -hmm. but it was, it was their losses. And the article is titled United's losses mount, but airline expects to surpass 2019 margins in 2023. The airline said that they expect the 2023 financial performance to be stronger than pre COVID 2019, but sales would suffer early this year as COVID crisis wears on. United posted a $1.9 billion net loss in the fourth quarter versus a $643 million net loss in 2020. Full year, they lost $7 billion. Average daily cash burn was down to $19 million in the fourth quarter, which is $5 million less in the third quarter. And capacity in the first quarter, they're saying, is going to be 51% of 2019. Drew, one thing I want to bring up, and then I'll, I'll kick this to you guys. In the past, it was prudent to compare the same quarter of this year to the same quarter of last year because of seasonal trends. I feel like this year we, we can't really do that. It really has to be compared oh, yeah. to the previous quarter, e even yeah. though, even though we, we, we have seasonality and things like that. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, Christmas, new year's big travel this year. I think that that really helped United and it's, it's going to help all the airlines, even though right, it's it a loss, even though it was a loss, if it wasn't for those holiday holiday peak periods, I think the losses would have been a lot worse. What What do you yeah. guys think on this? Francis, I mean, we both work at airports. I'm definitely seeing the uptick in traffic. I mean, not even looking at the numbers. It's gradual, but it's coming back. Are you seeing that, um, Francis, where you are? Yes. And I'm also seeing more people flying. I mean, the airlines are adding flights. I mm -hmm. mean, there's some, you know, passenger counts that aren't really, they're nothing to write home about, but they're definitely... They're getting up there. I've seen a couple flights come in that have had over a hundred people on them. Okay, and that was like unheard of at the start of this COVID crisis. So yeah. they're definitely they're definitely getting there. So, you know, Dr. Fauci is is a good judge of you know he's the best judge we have of how this vaccine will play out, and he's thinking by the fall we should be. 85% vaccinated and we should be coming back to normal. Now the airlines have said American and specifically has said that they expect to be back up to 75% of capacity by the summertime. So, um, you know, we do the show every week and Doug and I will be watching this. So that that's, that's the marker. Can we be up to, if we're up to 75% by summer, we're, we're on track. All right. I got the next story. Uh, this is from travel and leisure magazine. So uh, the title is Etihad Emirates launch health passport with the international air transport association. So these two airlines from the middle East Emirates and Etihad, they launched a health passport developed by IATA international air transport association in an effort to streamline travel and help passengers have required COVID-19 testing documentation all in one place. So how it works is uh, it's a mobile app that will generate a QR code to share relevant information with the authorities. Authorized labs and test centers will also be able to securely send medical information directly to your app. So you don't have to visit the doctor to get some piece of paper. Uh, both airlines will launch the app in the first quarter from their hubs at Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Passengers can upload COVID-19 documentation into the app before their flight. 
this travel pass, this IATA travel pass is one of several digital health passports in development. American uh, last week said it would launch its own. Now, my concern with these, you guys, is there should be one standard that everyone agrees to. And I think IATA should administer that. So there's no confusion. Oh, do you have this app? Oh, no, you need that app. Mm -hmm. If we want international travel to start moving again, we've got to make it as consistent and easy as possible. So I hope they're all working with IATA or IATA is able to round everyone up to the same standard. What do you guys think? No, I agree. Even like where I am, there's been a lot of confusion over the requirements to travel. So I would have to think that internationally, why would it be any different? You've got all these different countries making different rules. Right. And your state and the the rules are changing every day. Yeah. And your state is almost like going to a foreign country now. Like, um, Doug, you had to get uh, basically a visa to get into. I I had to do this. Yeah. I had to fill out information and get a QR code and show it at like a little customs place at the end of the jetway. Yeah. (laughs) No, I American is is part of IATA. So why, yep. why are they, why are they trying to do their own thing? Is it a, a pride thing? Like, Hey, look at us. We, we were the first American airline or I guess U S airline to have our own digital passport, put the pride aside, have right. some humility. Everyone come together. If you really want this to get done, then mm-hmm. let your governing body who is IATA, let your governing body take care of it for everyone. Yep. Let Emirates, let Etihad who have, <laughs> They, they don't have any domestic flights. They, no. they, re, they rely on it. So they are a great pilot program for this. Let IATA figure it out. Don't spend the money right now when a, arguably American is going to have the worst quarter, the, the worst third or fourth quarter of all, mm. the, all the majors in the US. There, there's no doubt about that. So why are they putting their time, effort, and money into creating their own? Just pump some money towards IATA. They right. they already Most of the they already been done exactly. Yeah, and that, and maybe even maybe even help IATA make it better. Right. Yeah. Have yeah. our major United Delta American because the Delta is doing their own thing to Amsterdam and Rome, which you mm-hmm. saw. Right. Yeah. Just work with IATA and work towards the same thing and give them your ideas to make it better. Yeah. So. Can Can I ask a question? Yeah. what's going on with the vaccines then where do those play into this no one has talked about that it seems like there uh, there's a website out there now that's tracking worldwide vaccines and we're up mm-hmm. to like 70 million people worldwide who have been vaccinated yeah and i was trying to do some research for this show everyone's talking about testing no one is talking about hey what happens when you get the vaccine how does that how does that play into any of this and well, that's you either have to, to be tested at. i mean you'd either have to be have a negative test Mm-hmm. or show that you have the vaccine. But uh, a lot of what I'm reading is that a lot of places are, are saying, okay, cool, you've been vaccinated, but you still need a negative test. Oh, uh, so it might be a two-part. It might be a two-part, yeah. And and all these articles that are talking about these health passports so far are only, only mentioning the testing aspect. Yeah. So hopefully they've got some sort of development that will take into account the vaccine because if they're not working on that, and we already have 70 million people worldwide, which I know is just a, a minuscule number compared to the worldwide global population. But if they're not already starting to think about that, they're behind, they're behind, way behind the curve, Iata, yeah, no, in, in trying point. to integrate this. All right, Francis, you work at an airport that's privately run. It may come as a surprise to our listeners that some of the largest airports in the world, like London Heathrow, are run by private companies and not the government. Yeah, so we looked at uh, this article from The Atlantic. Uh, It's called Privatizing Airports is a (laughs) No-Brainer. So it tells you kind of which way the article is leaning. So this guy who wrote this is 
definitely pushing for airports to be privatized so that cities can make more money off their airports. So um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, but the article suggests that uh, airports like LAX, Lexington, Phoenix, for example, are worth millions of dollars on the open market. And right now cities are desperate for cash, especially with COVID. Mm -hmm. So why aren't they selling these to get all this cash? There's literally hundreds of billions of dollars sloshing around out there in in investment markets wanting to invest in U.S. infrastructure, uh, according to this infrastructure consultant. Now, under the FAA rules, and Francis confirmed this, um, U.S. cities, counties, and other public entities, they can't actually sell off the runways, the terminals, and the land that make up their commercial service airport, uh, the kind most of us use to catch a flight. What they can sell are long-term leases to let private companies like Dunkin' Donuts, Hudson News, operate everything at an airport. Globally, airport privatization has been going on since 1987. That's when London Heathrow was privatized by Margaret Thatcher. Today, more than 100 world airports are privatized. And just one fun fact about London Heathrow, it's mostly owned by foreign entities. So for example, Qatar owns like 20 to 25% of London Airport of that private company that runs it. So in the U.S. now, Congress opened privatization to any U.S. airport with uh, San Juan International being the only major airport currently. What are you guys' thoughts on this? Francis, you work at the airport, so you go first. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you from an airport employee's perspective what I would feel. Do you feel like the concessions are good at your airport or do you feel like do you feel like the operator is doing a good job bringing in restaurants and stores and stuff? Yeah. I mean, it also depends on, you know, like whatever lease structure that airport has. Right now, the way we have it in the U.S., any money you make at the airport has to go back to the airport. So with this different structure, the the cities could sell their airport to like some retirement fund. And then any profit that retirement fund makes all that money that the the city makes from it can go to the city to pay for buses or bridges or stuff. Cause right yeah. now they can't use that money. Mm-hmm. So correct. I, I think it's, it's more than just the money aspect Drew. And, and I I've been on the fence with this for a long time. It was a really well written article, even though the, the author did. He has this. He, he, he his has, opinion. yeah, he has his opinion. <laughs> and, and here's, here's my thought on this. Cities are dealing with a lot anyways, right? From budgetary constraints, from um, employment constraints. A lot of, in a post-COVID world, a lot of cities are downsizing their employee base. If the cities are also running concessions at the airport, yeah. to me, that's that's just, that's too much work for the city to have to deal with. So if they can get some money out of that airport by by selling the concessions, because mm-hmm. they're not selling the the terminal itself, they're not selling the runways, they're not doing any of this. Yeah, I I don't necessarily see what's wrong with it. Now they're, se- I, they're selling the shopping mall piece. Ex- exactly, exactly. If we look back at airports thirty years ago that were very sterile places, not a lot of shopping, not not a lot to see there, and we look at the airports of today, some of the new airports around the world that are opening up, like Singapore, Fabulous. beautiful, yeah. Hong Kong, beautiful. The new Istanbul, I haven't been there, but the picture is beautiful. Those are all, I I don't know which ones of those are privatized, but anyone who's been to Heathrow, Heathrow is more or less a a great airport, even Mm -hmm. though it's been privatized. privatized. Yeah. So that's, I I don't know, that's my thought. Let the city deal with what they need to in the city itself. Don't worry about what 
shopping mall is going to be at your local airport. Yep. And that's, that, that's my opinion. Partially why airport authorities are created is to sort of separate the airport from the local government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some autonomy. You know, that, that way they don't need, that way the local government doesn't need to necessarily dictate what's going on at the airport. The airport authority will take care of running that. Obviously, JFK, Newark, they're run by the Port Authority. Authority. And the only difference with them is that they also manage the harbors. Mm -hmm. So they have separate divisions for aviation. That's got to be a huge organization, Mm -hmm. that whole thing with the Port Authority. Yeah. Well, I think the article article said that Terminal B, the new Terminal B at LaGuardia, LaGuardia. that was was just updated, is privatized. Right. So the, so the airport, yeah, the airport itself isn't, but, and I've, I've heard good things about the new construction there, the yeah. new terminal there. So, well, we, you know, we talked about San Jose, um, San Juan, Puerto San Juan, Rico is yeah. the only major privatized airport. They, the city of um, San Juan made $615 million upfront cash. So it was bought by ASUR, S-A-S-U-R, it's a Mexico city based airport operator. So that airport is owned by... <laughs> Mex- a Mexican entity, right? But listen to this. So once they did that, uh, the airport really improved with mm-hmm. concessions, restaurants, and they even reopened two older terminals. And one is a hub for JetBlue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and apparently that airport is doing great mm-hmm. uh, money-wise. Well, maybe not now during COVID, but, you know, so that's a test of how it can work. But I will tell you, Francis and Doug, as if I were an employee of the airport, I would want to work for the city. Just because it's more stability and the benefits are usually better, right? If I was working for a private company, you know, if that company decides, ah, this isn't working, then you're out of a job. True, but I can tell you someone who works in government right now who's looking to get out into the private sector. There's The grass is always greener on on the other side. And so as someone who's worked for the government and sees Mm -hmm. the bureaucracy that goes along with that, and I I talk to my friends who are in the private sector, and I Mm -hmm. just see seemingly how much easier it is out there and i work in the private sector so and i'm talking about the benefits of government. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's exactly so no, no matter what happens people people are going to complain about it because that's that's what people do we'll see I, I really think this might be the wave of the future not that it's good or bad but you know if san juan airport is proving that it brings more money in and, mm-hmm. and it improves the facility yeah that's probably the way yeah you can't it. can't really argue with that all right well we have a pilot an airport ops supervisor and an airline ops manager here so let's look at a few different events that we've experienced from different perspectives the first one we're going to talk about is bird strikes let's start with our guest what? No, 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 no. Francis and I spoke about this. No, we're we're gonna start with the source of the problem, which is you. Yeah, me bringing the because you're the ones who's hitting these birds, right? Okay. You're the ones who's like locking up the flaps, or you know. So yeah, what would Doug? So you you have a bird strike. Yeah. Um. What do you do? We we talked about this uh, over beers on Monday. I I showed you yeah. some pictures of this. So when mm-hmm. when we have a bird strike, you of course you have to report it. You land, you taxi clear of the runway, and then the airplane has to go through an inspection. And that's really, it, it could delay the outbound flight. I've been on commercial flights that get delayed. I've hit birds in my airplane, and we've had to sit there for a night while they fix whatever needs to be fixed. And I, I go on with my day. 
but then the exactly. air, but, but then the airport side, which and we'll we'll get to this. So I I have you to go to your hotel and yeah, yeah exactly dinner. yeah, and I come back and things are cleaned up and everything is everything is good. To yes, because Francis and I are cleaning up your mess. Yeah, yeah. So the the way the way that it happens is if I hit a bird, I call mm-hmm. tower and I tell them as specifically as possible. Hey, this is this is where I hit the bird. It was at the eight board or the seven board, which is the runway distance remaining signs, or if I see a taxiway intersection, something like that. And then Francis can get into what the what the airport perspective is of that. But I, I jest and I laugh, but I've been on commercial flights that have been canceled because the inbound plane hit a bird. And and it it does set people back. So even though, yeah, I laugh about going to the going to the hotel bar afterwards and, and whatever, there, there is a lot that goes into it. So yeah. Drew, so, Drew what about from the from the uh, airline side? So from the airline side, we'll talk to the FAA and if the crew hasn't told us, we'll find out what runway they were landing on. Uh, we will uh, call our airport authority to tell them so that they can sweep the runway for any FOD and they can find the bird because they want to know what type of bird and they relay that information to, you know, the health, the um, animal health or whatever, so they can figure out what birds are in that area. Uh, we um, also tell maintenance so that they can meet the airplane on arrival mm-hmm. and see how, how bad the damage was. And we have changed planes because of bird strikes before, you know, cause it's been um, it, more than just a streak of blood or some feathers. So Francis, what about you? It all depends on who calls it in. A lot of times we'll get a phone call from air traffic control that says, you know, hey, you know, this plane just took off or just landed and they think they may have hit a bird. Can we do, can we get a check for the runway? And we'll go out and we'll sweep the runway. Or we do get a report that the plane actually did hit a bird. Mm-hmm. In which case we're still going to go out. We're still going to check the runway just to see if we can find anything. And if we find something, you know, we'll pick it up. We'll try and look at what kind of bird it is based on, you know, like our, ident- we all get training and bird identification as part mm-hmm. of our training every year. If we can identify what it is, then we can just fill that out in the report. But I'm also going to go to the aircraft at the mm-hmm. gate. And we've got little kits with um, alcohol swabs and I'm going to try and find a, they call it snarge, which is bird yeah. bodily fluids. Yep. I'm going to try, I'm going to try and get a snarge sample off the plane <laughs> if I can. And then if the flight crew is still around, I'll try and talk to them, figure out what happened that, especially if the, if it's a damaging strike mm-hmm. where, you know, the plane is, you know, it, part of the plane is damaged or the plane needs to go out of service because those have ripple effects Mm -hmm. as far as like wildlife hazard management plans at airports. I was just going to ask you how it works on the, on the civilian side. Mm -hmm. Do the flight crews have to fill out paperwork? Because I do. When when I land after a a bird strike, I have several forms that I have to fill out and submit. No. So they'll report it to uh, aircraft maintenance and then they'll take their report and they'll put it in the write-up. Okay. And then maintenance will take that on and put in the details of the damage and sure. what they did and stuff. I will say though that, you know, there's the wildlife strike database online that the FAA maintains. I have looked at my airport just to see if anything's popped up. And I have seen instances where pilots have filed strikes mm-hmm. on a date that we didn't specifically have one. Huh. So oh. it is possible that, you know, like they, they take off or they land and they don't and they report it. it and they don't report it to the airport. 
Mm -hmm. But it's also possible that, you know, like when the plane lands and the flight crew is doing their walk around that they noticed snarge, but they didn't hit anything. Mm -hmm. So that's possible that they could have hit that somewhere in route that wasn't even at the airport. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it still goes down as, you know, the airport that you land at, which can potentially maybe skew your statistics. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, All right. Next problem that uh, Doug has uh, on approach that uh, we have to uh, take care of (laughs) emergency landings. So you have an emergency. Mm -hmm. How do you start the process? Who do you contact? What do you do? Whoever I'm talking to at the time for air traffic control, I'll let them know I have an emergency. We have a whole declaration that we have to say number of people on board, fuel Mm -hmm. on board, fuel remaining in in time. So number of hours that we can fly, what what the issue is, if if we can say this and then what sort of help we need, whether it's Mm -hmm. expedited vectors, holding, you name it, we, we let them know. And then when we show up at the airport, we're always met by some sort of emergency response. Mm-hmm. Some places, just based on the nature of the emergency, it, it might just be a minor thing. Like I, I can't even give an example of what a minor thing is, but we might might be met by a single fire like truck. Like a flap, like a flap indication. Uh, yeah, an indi- an, yeah, an indication with no adverse yaw, so no okay. rolling moment or anything. We might be met by a single truck. But I've had seemingly minor emergencies where I've been met by the Armada. And it seems like <laughs> it seems like every single emergency responder on that airfield felt the need to come out at that time, which which is really funny to see. Like you have some that's minor when Frank that's when Francis's guys get bored. Exactly. You, like, you have some minor some minor emergency. You're on short final and you see like 15 fire trucks down at the end, end of the runway waiting for you. Uh, anyway, so regardless of who responds, once we land. We taxi clear if we can, and then we have a headphone jack either that they can plug into or we get a frequency and we speak with the fire marshal. Yep. And I was, I was telling you about this, Drew. I am the aircraft commander until we land. Mm-hmm. Once we land, the fire marshal becomes the commander, the commander of, yeah. He'll call of the shots. Every, he calls the shots. And so I'm speaking with him. Usually they come and do a, a circle of the airplane. They look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. And if they don't see any visible damage or, or anything that would preclude us from taxing to the gate or, or taxing to parking, right. then they will give us back command of that aircraft and they will resolve the situation. They'll say the emergency is terminated. You have the aircraft. If it's something that we need to either egress the airplane for or shut down right there and they have to tow us in, then they maintain command of the situation and they will okay. they'll follow us in. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So ours, um, we will, once we get notification, we'll call uh, Francis's fire trucks out, but usually they do that right away. So the control tower tower will hear before us. Sometimes dispatch will hear. So we'll, we'll get this notification from the airport, from the FAA or from dispatch. I will call my counterparts in customer service and ramp so that they can prepare. Uh, We'll also call the move team. So we'll have the move team rendezvous with airport ops. Airport ops will escort my move team out to the aircraft in case the move team has to move the aircraft to the gate. Um, And then uh, all this happens very quickly. So I'll also advise my boss and the NOC director, because it's not just me at my airport. I have a company I work for they're going to want to know about the emergency I call. So I call the NOC director. So that is basically the shift manager for the whole airline. So I'll have them in the loop. And then, you know, just real quick, the other things we do based on how much time we have, we will look, if this was a, um, a field return 
we'll start looking for another aircraft right away so mm. that these people, when they come in, they can go to their new plane and be out quickly because we don't want to inconvenience them anymore. Sometimes if we don't have another plane, Doug and Francis, we'll steal a plane from another mm-hmm. that was scheduled for another flight. Cause now these people are the priority. Yeah. You know, and my other people going to someplace else can wait a little bit, but, um, and Francis and I talked about this. We have several situations where the crew will report that they have a flap indication and they say they're not declaring an emergency. Mm-hmm. Yep. Francis, I'm, I'm pointing at Francis because he's airport ops. Airport ops will just make a decision on their own mm-hmm. and they'll roll the trucks and then I'll be like, wait, no one declared an emergency. We don't have any choice. Yep. If the airport wants to send the trucks, they're going to send the trucks. So, yep. all right, Francis, what, what do you guys do? So usually it depends on what is happening. Nine times out of 10, when an emergency is declared by a flight crew, it's going it, to, we're going to hear about it from air traffic the tower when they pick up the crash phone. Like Doug said, they're going to go over everything that they have as far as fuel on board, souls, how far out they are, what the problem is, aircraft type, if it's an air carrier. And then with that information, we send out the appropriate notifications to airport management as far as who needs to know about it. If it's an air carrier, we'll notify whatever that respective carrier is just so that they, you know, if they don't already know about it, that way they, they do know about it and they can mm-hmm. start preparing the supervisor. Usually we're going to go team up with, um, aircraft okay. rescue firefighter firefighting the, uh, the captain. And I will say, you know, Doug says that, you know, that this happens really quickly mm-hmm. when you're sitting on the ramp waiting for a plane that's declared an emergency to land. It seems like years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, you're you're preparing and you're thinking about the worst case of what can happen. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, the plane lands and taxis to the gate on its own. And you know, once the plane lands, we're gonna do a runway sweep, obviously, in case just to check to make sure that nothing happened mm-hmm. and came off the plane. We're required to do those inspections by the regs. The airport will be closed because they don't want anybody moving, obviously. In the case of the plane taxiing and going back to the gate, we'll follow the plane back just to make sure that, you know, nothing comes off. And then we're going to go and get a statement from the flight crew, mm-hmm. figure out what happened. Um, those re- those records need to be maintained by the airport for the FAA during inspection. Can I bring up something so, that you that you mentioned? You you said the <laughs> crash phone will ring in the yep. in the tower. That sounds very ominous. But let's yeah. let's explain to listeners what the crash phone actually is. It yep. it's not necessarily as bad as, as it sounds. No. Ho- hopefully, yeah. it's not. It could be. Yep. But like you said, ninety nine times out of a hundred, what what is the crash phone? It's just an emergency notification line. So whenever a plane or whenever a flight crew declares an emergency. They're going to pick that up, and it's usually a direct line with ARF, mm-hmm. Aircraft Rescue and Firefighting Department, and mm-hmm. the airport itself yeah. to say, we've got this situation going on. Can we have the truck standing by for when he lands in case something happens? A lot of people who might be on the other end of that phone, too, aren't aren't responsible to do anything. They may not be involved with it at all because I, I've been an, uh, an operations officer. I would answer the crash phone and it would be for a complete different airplane that was not anyone that I was responsible for, a, a different airplane type, a, a different country's airplane coming in. It's just everyone is is on this notification. 
Maybe you're involved with it. Maybe you're not. But anytime there's something at the airfield, they pick it up and, and they just read out all the information. And so that way, anyone who needs to be in the know is in the know. Yep. 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 Exactly. Agreed. Something I learned as a young zone controller when we have an emergency, when the airplane is taxiing to the gate, never say, all right, we're good. The airplane's taxiing on its own power. <laughs> yeah. So my <laughs> boss would be like, Whose power, who else's power would he be taxiing? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Andrew, just say the airplane's taxiing. But it just sounded more dramatic to say it's taxiing on his yeah. own power. <laughs> taxiing on its own power. I feel like that's a good a good segue into the next the next segment. Oh yeah. Let's go to <laughs> Let, the let's, next let's section. Let's just ride this. Let's just ride this. <laughs> let's keep going. All right. So Francis, you and I both love Airport 1970. Now, this is this is actually before I was born, but I remember watching it and being in awe of, you know, the bravado and all the glamour and glitz of the jet age, right? It really exemplified the guts and glory um, at the start of the jet age. It's full of salty old guys with a lot of ego and attitude. What I'd like to do is for us to roll, for you guys, actually, to role play um, our favorite scene. You and Doug will play the TWA. Well, let me set the scene first. All right. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong or add anything to it. The scene is a Boeing 707 that has just landed on a snowy runway. The, the pilots have turned off into what they thought was a taxiway, but they turned into the grass or something. And now this 707 is stuck in the snow. So this is the situation. Everyone knows uh, who's my age or older, who's an av geek. Whenever you have a problem and you don't know what to do, you call Joe Petroni. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talked about this on our Christmas extra. Joe Petroni is a mechanic for TWA in this movie. So he was Mr. Fix-It. He didn't even work for this Transglobal Airlines, which is the plane that went off the runway. So you have Joe Petroni on board. You have one of the pilots from the airline and they're working to get, well, working together. <laughs> they're screaming at each other trying to find ways to get the 707 off the taxiway and you know taxi back to the gate so um, we have this scene and you guys are going to do your best 1970s accents or whatever to role play francis you're joe Pat patroni you're <laughs> you're the twa mechanic <laughs> and doug you are captain benson we're going to go through this raw you know just the way they said it <clears throat> and then we're going to come back around and we're going to figure out, all right, how can we do the same thing? We'll translate it from 1970 to 2021. You know, everyone gets a trophy and you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> all right, Joe Petroni, go. You chickened out on me. I told you I wanted all the power you got. Full throttle on this plane would be standing on its nose. You might fly these things, but I take them apart and put them back together again. If you had any guts, we'd be on the runway by now. You felt it vibrating? Another 10 seconds and we'd have structural damage. Who do you think you're talking to? Some kid that fixes bicycles? I know every inch of the 707. Take the wings off this. You could use it as a tank. This plane is built to withstand anything except a bad pilot. You might tell your mechanic that, but I've got 3 million miles in the air. And two and a half feet in the ground. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> that was perfect. Forget the, you know. No, no. We got to translate that because none of this would work in 2021. So I'm going to go through these lines. I'm going to give an example of what we could do, you know, in a softer, gentler tone in 2021. Tell me what you think. Francis, so you were Joe Petroni. You said, you chickened out on me. I told you I wanted all the power you got. 
Now, that was a little harsh. You shouldn't really be talking to people like that. So my recommendation for 2021, if the same situation happened, is you should say, quote, hey, be a little bit more confident. I know you could have done better. <laughs> oh, there's that. No, why are you laughing? That's what we would, that's what I would tell. I, 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 yeah, I, I shouldn't be laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, is there a better way that you could have said, you know, you don't say you chickened out on me. I told you I want all the power you got, right? No, or it's, you know, hey, I need this plane off the runway. Yeah. Better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, Captain Benson, Doug, says full throttle and this plane would have been standing on its nose. So I would rephrase that in a kinder, gentler way and say, thank you, but my concern would be about tipping the nose, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> you, have, you said the same thing. Right. I, I'm still not laughing. I, I'm trying to be serious because, okay. you know, you can't yeah. talk like that in 2021. Mm -hmm. All right, Francis, you came back and you, you are the worst, I mean, the worst communicator, but I love Joe Petroni. Joe Petroni goes, you might fly these things, but I take them apart and put them back together again. If you had any guts, we'd be on the runway by now. So I would convert that to, uh, I appreciate your pilots. Wait, hold on. Let me make sure that I get this number right. Um, yeah, I would say, I appreciate your pilot skills, which complement my maintenance skills, but we could have done, oh, <laughs> we could have gotten this plane, we could, we could have gotten this plane out together. Oh, See how much better? Yeah. It's a team. It's a team. You, know? you, have to, you have to work together with maintenance. Yeah. Right. All right, then, um, Doug, you said, uh, you felt it vibrating another 10 seconds and we would have had structural damage. So you're accusing him of something. So um, what I would have said is, hey, you have missed that the plane was vibrating because you don't want to accuse him of not mm -hmm. noticing that. And my opinion is we may have had structural damage. Yeah, that's better. good. Yeah. All right, Joe Petroni comes back. Who do you think you're talking to? Some kid who fixes bicycles? I know every inch of the 707, take the wings off this thing and you can use it as a tank. This plane is built to withstand anything except a bad pilot. What I would have said is... Thank you for your concern. I know the 707 and uh, its structural integrity well, and it could have stayed intact. It is very forgiving. So you're not calling him a bad pilot, but you're saying the plane is forgiving if there's a bad pilot. You're basically saying he's a bad yeah, pilot. Yeah, I mean, how does Joe know that he's a bad pilot, aside from the fact that he's in the dirt? He doesn't. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, you know don't, what? Don't, if accuse, Joe... don't accuse things you don't know. Yeah. All right, we're almost done. So, <laughs> Doug, you said you might tell your mechanic I've got 3 million miles in the air. And uh, you, you notice he wasn't talking to Joe Petroni directly, so that was kind of disrespectful. So in 2021, I would have the captain talk to Joe Petroni and say, hey, thanks for your help, Joe. Um, I do have 3 million miles experience. Just leave it at that. And then the but last one. Can I, ask <laughs> a question, can I ask a question about that, though? Uh-huh. I can't tell you how many million miles I've flown. I Don't can you have you a book? I can tell you the hours that I've flown. I have no idea how many miles I've flown. Yeah, how did he know? <laughs> yeah, so what? what is this miles thing? Like, what, what does that translate to? Cool, you've flown 3 million miles. Awesome. How, like, no one, no one, I don't go in my logbook after flight and say, oh, today's flight was 604 miles. No, I say yeah. it was 4.3 hours, hours or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, miles sounds more dramatic. Yeah, Google Maps right. didn't exist then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, now the last one, Joe Petroni goes, um, hey, I have... So the guy said, I have 3 million miles in the air. Joe Petroni says, and two and a half feet into the ground. What I would say in 2021, and two and a half feet in the ground. Because <laughs> that was just a fact. Right? <laughs> oh, man, that was, that was a lot of fun. But let's just say I'm glad we've evolved from 1970. And having said that, 
if you ever tell me you'll take whatever runway is available when I'm flying and I'm trying to land at your airport, we're going to have some issues, Francis. So don't, don't tell me that, <laughs> but Hey, it was, it was great having you on. This was a lot of fun. Francis. Thanks for av geeking with us uh, and come back again, soon. again soon. Um, anything else you want to tell our listeners? No, I just really appreciate the opportunity to be on. It was a lot of fun. It is what it is. If you get a chance, <laughs> Airport 1970 is a great movie. You, right, can, yeah. uh, you can look at it with um, a okay, close-mindedness go- about all the issues that you guys pointed out before. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, Francis, I'm going to put, and for the listeners, that whole role play that uh, Doug and Francis did, I'm going to put that clip in the show notes. So you can go to the show notes on nexttripnetwork.com and click that link and you can see the actual um, clip of that movie. Yeah, the script. No, not the script. Uh, we'll do a YouTube. Oh, the, oh, the, oh mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, to our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our new website, nextripnetwork.com, and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter at Next Trip Podcast. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. Yeah, this is a lot warmer than last week. A lot warmer? Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, cold. Outside on a park (laughs) bench in Philadelphia? That was ridiculous. Yeah, so I, I think the extent of our nature episodes is going to be us in an airport. Airport, concourse. yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless it's summer. Yeah, that's our wild habitat. Yeah, or, or at, the, habitat. At, at the in and out. At the in and out. Yeah. At seventy degrees at LA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>